You are listening to the Reality Church Ventura podcast, a collection of sermons from our weekly Sunday gatherings. To learn more about reality, visit us online at realityventura.com. Hi, my name is Lori. I'm the mom of three. And today's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Luke 10, 25 through 37 from the NIV. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and, you, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is God's word. Thank you, Lori. Uh, Good morning, my name is Billy. I'm a pastor elder here at Reality Ventura. Last couple weeks, we've been studying some of the parables that Jesus told. Um, In order to explain the intangible, uh, what we can't see with our eyes, Jesus would tell stories in order to help us understand the kingdom of God. He knew that we could only engage with this reality with the eyes of our hearts. And so he chose to use stories, what we commonly now refer to as parables, to illustrate his meaning to us. And we can look at Jesus's parables as three things for us. Uh, They're like a window for us to peer into, uh, giving us a glimpse of the kingdom of God. They're like a mirror reflecting back to us what we are like, and they are like a door inviting us to enter into a new life which he's offered to us. And so today we are gonna look at a very familiar parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. A story so familiar, uh, many of us might immediately be familiar with the plot. Uh, Some of us might even remember the moral of the story. Sermon is entitled, How Should I Love My Neighbor? Let's pray now, and let's pray that this familiar story about the love of God would be a window, a mirror, a door for each of us as we learn and as we grow in our life with Jesus together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and 
We thank you, God, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. And so we pray this morning, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would instruct us, that you would open the eyes of our heart to see the kingdom of God, to respond to your incredible love for us. Help us this morning to see Jesus, to respond to Jesus. We pray, God, that you would do that now as we open your word in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there was a film uh, that came out in the 90s. It's an old Bruce Willis film called The Sixth Sense. And that film had a plot twist at the very end of it that was so surprising and so significant to the entire story that as soon as I saw the film, I immediately felt like I needed to rewatch it. I needed to see it all over again. I'm like, how could that possibly be true this entire time? I, first of all, it's a great marketing device, right? Like, even if the movie kind of, you know, wasn't that great, people are gonna wanna go back and see how they were able to pull that kind of a thing off. But that crazy plot twist completely changed what everyone thought was going on. We saw and thought one way up until the end of the movie, and then we're given this different perspective, and all of a sudden, the storyline becomes this complex, rich thing. And we're like, oh my gosh, I did not see that coming. I had no idea. And the teachings of Jesus can be like this for us. Uh, The parables of Jesus have surprising plot twists. Sometimes it's a surprising hero in the story. Um, Often it's a person that nobody would have expected. And it's only when we finally see and understand, when we discover these plot twists, and we then hear these stories with a fresh perspective that we can then grasp the true impact of what Jesus is trying to communicate by telling the story in the way that he does. This is especially true with the parable that we're looking at today. Because here's the deal. When we hear the word Samaritan, we think of a good neighbor. They're they're synonyms in our vocabulary. We think about the person who helps someone who's stuck on the side of the road, right? The good Samaritan is the guy that actually gets out of his car. He's the guy that's actually pushing a broken car, someone else's car, through an intersection for them. That's the good Samaritan, right? And now why do we think this? Well, we think this because we, you know, we kind of know the story. Some of us have heard it many times, whether you grew up in the church or even outside of the church. Culturally, we're familiar with this idea of a good Samaritan. It's a positive thing. It always refers to positive people, helpful people. It's a very modern perspective that we have as we look back on what is a very ancient story. And here's the thing, this is not how Jesus' audience thought of Samaritans at all. Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience, an audience that had nothing to do with Samaritans. They were considered impure, They were considered not real Israelites, ethnically, racially. uh, They worshiped at a different temple. They worshiped differently, like not according to the, the way the Jews were supposed to worship. They basically, the Jews viewed them as worshiping a different God altogether. And so a Samaritan would never be the hero of any Jewish story. But in this parable, the Samaritan ends up being the good neighbor. He is the hero. It is a crazy plot twist. And if we're to really understand what Jesus is trying to communicate, 
When he tells this story, we need to hear the story from this perspective, from his perspective. And so I'd like to offer a retelling of this story from a modern perspective that reflects the same, uh, in, the same impact that Jesus was intending when he selected the Samaritan as the hero. So here is my best efforts at retelling the story in a modern way. A man is driving through San Bernardino County, or maybe Riverside County, doesn't matter, same place. Anyway, <laughs> for the purpose of the story, he stops at a truck stop for gas when suddenly he's attacked. He's badly beaten up. He's robbed and left for dead. And a local pastor uh, sees him lying there, but he's too busy to stop. Then the kids' ministry director notices him there as she drives in for gas, doesn't stop, doesn't offer to help. And then the youth pastor, God forbid, sees this poor guy lying there on the ground, beat unconscious, and doesn't help him. Just then, as he's pulling away, this giant tattooed guy, wearing a Hells Angels vest, riding upon a Harley Davidson motorcycle, rides up, sees this guy lying there, gets off his bike, and helps him. See, that is shocking to us, to our modern ears, to think that a Hells Angels guy, the one person in the whole story who seems completely outside of anything we might consider to be a follower of Jesus, to think that he is the good neighbor, the hero of the story. But see, that's how shocking it was to Jesus' hearers, the audience, back when he told the story, right? When they were told of this good Samaritan, two words that would never have gone together. And so now that we understand the plot twist, let's take a look at the story. We're going to look at three important things that we see in this story. This, first and foremost, is a story about love, and Jesus teaches us three important things about love. He teaches us, first, about real love. We see what real love is like in this story. He also teaches us about God's love. We see what God's love is like for us. And then finally, we see our love. We see what the love that we now have for others is like or can be like. And so the first thing we see in this story is real love. Uh, this story of the Good Samaritan is told by Jesus within the context of a conversation that he is having with an Old Testament scholar. And now this scholar asks Jesus a question, and in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, we're told that the motive of the scholar when he's asking this question is to put Jesus to the test. This guy doesn't really care about what Jesus is, you know, is trying to, he's not trying to understand what Jesus is offering here. What he's trying to do is to draw Jesus into a debate. He's putting Jesus to the test, it says. And so he asks the question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, Jesus, knowing this man, knowing his heart, he responds by pointing him to the law. And it says this, verses 26 and 7. Jesus asked, well, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this is a great answer, and Jesus even says, you've answered correctly. In fact, in other places in the New Testament, Jesus gives the same exact 
answer when he's asked what the most important commandment is. And so Jesus is in full agreement with this guy's answer. But then, in the next verse, in verse 29, the scholar kind of goes further and further reveals his true motives by asking a follow-up question. In verse 29, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. There's the motive. And so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus answers this question by telling the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, what is Jesus doing with this story? He's laying out a comprehensive definition of love. He's teaching the full scope of what God's law requires of humanity. And what Jesus does is surprising because the one person in the story who loves like God loves is the Good Samaritan. The hero of the story is an enemy. And Jesus is showing us that God's definition of a neighbor, it's not just loving the people next door. It's not just loving your kids super well. It, 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 the requirement of the law is that you actually love your enemy and that you love your enemy in a comprehensive way, in a sacrificial way. And as we see in this story, in an expensive way. Jesus is showing us what true love looks like, what real love looks like. And again, it's a comprehensive love. The scope of this love that the Samaritan shows, this Israelite, is unbelievable. Now, you might not remember uh, when we were reading it just a moment ago when Lori came up and read the story, but beginning in verse 33, there is just verb after verb to, to demonstrate what real love is. I think there's like nine little actions, short little action sequences that detail what this Samaritan does for the man lying on the road. And the point here is that this isn't simply a, sen a sentimental feeling, right? Real love isn't just like this guy felt bad for this other guy. It's not like a, you know, a country music song where I love my truck and, and my dog and, and that one girl or whatever. Like this is, this is something where a man took action. There wasn't just a feeling. There was action. There was a response. This love is expressed as practical acts of mercy, practical acts of compassion. Jesus shows us that real love is action. And in this story, we see in these little miniature pictures that real love, first of all, is physical presence. Right? He stops to be where the dying man was. He was present. He showed up. He went down to the ground with this unconscious, stripped naked, beaten guy that had nothing to offer. He'd just been completely robbed. This guy went down to where that guy was. Okay, the guy on the ground had nothing to offer, the Samaritan, but he goes to where the need is. He was present. The second thing we see in the story is there was this emotional connection. It says when he saw him, he had compassion, right? He had empathy, he had sympathy. You know, we, we all can connect with that. You see someone struggling or suffering, you know, you have this empathy and sympathy. But the third thing we see is physical care. He follows up his empathy and his sympathy by binding up this man's wounds, by pouring oil and wine upon him, which apparently was good medical treatment back in the day, right? And then the fifth thing we see is hospitality. He sets the guy on his own animal to transport him. He brings him to an inn. There's transportation involved in this love. He gives the guy a ride. He provides him shelter. He's spending his own money. And then the fifth thing we see is time. Right? He didn't just get him a room and he's like, later, well, hope, hope for the best, right? Praying for you. 
positive vibes going your way, right? All that. No, he took care of them. He gives us a picture of what hospitality looks like. And then the sixth thing we see, which kind of ties it all together, is generosity. He is generous. Emotionally, he's generous with his time. He's, he's generous with what he has, his resources, withdrawing his own money to pay for the hotel room, telling the innkeeper, take care of this man. I will pay for the expenses. This is generous financial love. See, Jesus is saying that this picture is what real love looks like. Love is meeting all of these needs, caring for this broken man. Love is helping him in his helplessness. This real love is a costly love. And Jesus shows this Bible scholar the heart of the law, which is the heart of God. He shows him what real love is, that love is sacrificial, that love is costly. And it's even kind of scandalous that we would have that kind of love for our enemies, right? In our current culture, it, it is like not okay for us to love our enemies too much. But it's not okay to, to be that supportive and that encouraging and that helpful to someone who is on the complete opposite side of the political spectrum as you are, right? That's like not normal. That's not cool. Even other Christians who think the same way, they're like, whoa, what are you doing? Don't say nice things about him, right? Don't, don't like pray for him. Don't try to support that person, right? But Jesus is like this radical sense of connectedness that an enemy has towards someone who's completely different than them. And in this, Jesus tells us what God requires of us, showing us the standard that God requires. We're required to love God with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength, and we must love our neighbors as ourselves, including our enemies. And what he's communicating is this. He's like, hey, here's the deal. If you are seeking eternal life, if you're looking to get right with God, if you're looking to feel good enough, if you're looking to like change the world around you and you're doing it on your own strength, if you're doing it with your own bright ideas, if you're trying to please God and please the people around you by simply trying harder, then you're in trouble. Listen, I am in trouble when I fall into that we're in trouble if we think we're gonna change ourselves and we're gonna change the world around us on our own because none of us can. There is only one. And so Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan not only shows us what real love is, it also reveals God's love for us. That's the second point that we see here. Jesus doesn't just tell us about real love. He invites us to experience real love. And when we read this story, uh, I mean, I grew up thinking that I was the good Samaritan, right? Like, that's, that's me. I'm the good, I'm, that's me. I'm supposed to just help people. The one who helps others. And this is interesting because how we interpret the story depends very heavily on our perspective as we read the story. And I'm sure that Jesus' perspective as he's telling this story is not that we are the hero of the story, right? Jesus' point in telling the story isn't like, and you're the savior, Right? The meaning behind this story changes when the listener's perspective changes. And our perspective depends on which character of the story we identify ourselves with. Jesus did not expect his Jewish listeners to identify themselves with the Samaritan. There's no world in which that would have been like intellectually acceptable to a Jewish scholar. 
And so if we identify with the good Samaritan like right out of the gate, we're probably a little delusional because we're not really living that way, chances are. At least not consistently. Most of us, when I, like when I read this story, I, you know, it's like, okay, so I'm not the good Samaritan. I kind of get that now. Maybe I'm more like the priest or the Levite, right? I'm honest enough to admit that I'm often too busy to actually stop and help. Right, I, I can think of specific times when I've seen people in need and passed by. I, I've, I'm confessing that. I, I know that I, I'm like the priest and the Levite in the story in that way, but I don't ever imagine myself as the victim of the crime. I don't ever imagine myself as the dead guy, the guy that's just left for dead, laying in the parking lot, so to speak, on the side of the road. That's not a glamorous role. That doesn't seem like a, a, a part in this story where there's any hope. And so we don't automatically go there. You don't pick the hopeless role. It's just laying there, utterly helpless, utterly in need of someone else to extend mercy. But this is who we are apart from Jesus. Jesus is showing us that we are helpless, that we are hopeless, each of us needing someone to stop and help us, to rescue us, to savior, to save us. We need a savior, and the good news this morning is Jesus is that savior. Jesus is the hero of the Good Samaritan story. Jesus is the one who stoops down to help us in our discouragement, in our depression, in our anger, in our brokenness. In our betrayal, Jesus is the one that is willing to go all the way down to to scoop us up off of that disgusting truck stop asphalt and hold us up. Jesus is willing to go to the low places where we find ourselves. Jesus is is the good Samaritan. He's the one who lifts us up. He's the one who removes us from harm. He's the one that pays for our care, literally paying for our debt that we owe in our sin by laying his own life down in exchange for us. He's the one who remains with us, recuperating us, growing us, strengthening us. Even today, the Savior, the hero of the story is with us, lifting us up, redirecting our lives Puritan commentary writer Matthew Henry explains this idea in this way. He says, we were like the poor, distressed traveler. And Satan, our enemy, has robbed us. He's stripped us. He's wounded us. Such is the mischief that sin has done on us. We were by nature more than half dead, twice dead in trespasses and sins utterly unable to help ourselves, for we were without strength. Now the law of Moses, like the priest and the Levite, the ministers of the law, it looks upon us, but it has no compassion on us. It gives us no relief. It passes us by on the other side of the road as having neither the pity nor the power to help us. But then comes the blessed Jesus, that good Samaritan They said of him by way of reproach, ah, he's a Samaritan, but he has compassion on us. He binds up our bleeding wounds. He pours not only oil and wine upon us, but that which is infinitely more precious, his own blood. He takes care of us and bids us put all the expenses 
of our cure upon his account. I love that. Jesus is the hero of the story. This is an important perspective for a couple of reasons. It's important for us to see this perspective because Jesus being the hero of the Good Samaritan story guards us from the burden, carrying the burden of legalism and moralism in our own life. If you read the parable as well as the other kind of seemingly good ethical moral teachings of Jesus and you read them, you know, these things about loving your neighbor and giving to the poor and caring for those in needs, in need, if we read those things simply as rules for us to follow in order for us to be good with God, in order for us to be good with the people around us, in order for us to like somehow get eternal life by doing enough good things, what we're gonna end up doing is carrying a burden of trying to perform perfectly on our own but having to deal with the consequence of failing over and over again. And the burden of the guilt and the shame of saying we're going to do something and starting out strong and then seeing it kind of peter off, of doing that over and over again throughout the course of our lives. It's why even children from the healthiest families need therapy when they become an adult. Because none of us on our own can love in the way that Jesus loves. The burden can only be released from our shoulders by the Savior, the sacrifice of Jesus, the free offer of salvation. And so we must grasp what God has done for us here, or we might continue to live under an unbearable burden of legalism, or moralism, or try-harderism, or self-help, like our culture wants to just push on us. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, in his very first recorded sermon, he's preaching to a synagogue full of people that would have known the law. And he says this, Acts chapter 13, verse 38. He goes, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification that you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. He's like, there's no eternal life through rule keeping. Not because God's rules aren't good. No, it's because we can't keep them. That's the problem. We can't keep the rules. But the second reason we need to see this and understand this perspective that Jesus is God's rescue for us is because we need rescue. We need to be saved. But we also need transformation. We need to be saved and changed. And this transformation comes only as we see Jesus as the great fulfillment of the law. We cannot save ourselves by following the rules. None of us can do what is required. Salvation comes as we stop trying to save ourselves and we give ourselves to allowing Jesus to save us. The same with transformation. Transformation comes in our lives when we stop trying to change ourselves and we submit to Jesus for the change that he's promised to do in our life. And here's a good question for each of us to consider today as we think about these things. In my life, am I relying on Jesus to save me? Today, with the struggles I have, today with my tendencies, with my proclivities, with the issues that I have, the brokenness that I have, all the different ways, the disorders that I have, 
the bad relationships that I have? Am I trying to save myself or am I leaning into the salvation that I have in Jesus? Am I letting Jesus be the savior? Am I depending on his perfection to transform me and change me? Am I letting go of the controls in my life and letting Jesus lead and direct me? Am I letting Jesus be the hero of my story? You see, once we put our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, we experience changes to the motivational structures in our hearts. Like we, wanna, we start to want to follow Jesus. We start to want to grow to be more like Jesus. We start to want to trust him more and more. This is how Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan reveals God's love to us. We are the ones who were robbed and beaten and abandoned by our own pursuits, our own efforts, by sin, by the devil who leaves us for dead. Jesus is the unexpected, plot-twisting savior, the hero of the story, who stops and helps and pays for and remains with us. Jesus directs our recovery. Jesus directs our path to new life. This is God's love. The third thing we see that we learn about love from Jesus' story, the Good Samaritan, is how we now live in love. Jesus shows us our love. Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan not only shows us both what real love is and, and what God's love for us is, it also shows us how we now live as we follow Jesus. What do our lives look like? Jesus says they look like love. John chapter 13, in uh, verse 34, Jesus says this. He says, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Okay, now, knowing what we know about love now, and just in the last several minutes as we've been talking about love, that, that's, a, that's an insane command, isn't it? To love one another in that way. Jesus isn't talking about you know, tolerance, which is this big thing in our culture right now, like to tolerate one another, right? Like don't fly off the handle when you're insulted every single time, right? Like that, that's like not even, that, that's like, yeah, kind of maybe a part of getting to love, but like that's not even what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about abandoning your preferences and serving people in need. Like that is how we're to live when we're together. We're to prefer each other and not just the people that are sort of easy to do that with, the complicated people, the enemies even. Every responsibility we have as a follower of Jesus, every responsibility we have as the church, every responsibility can be summed up in that one word, love. Our responsibility is to care for people, and we care for them spiritually and physically. Our lives are now bound up in this love, this lifestyle of love. We are all about loving God and loving others, period. And this love has the, the spiritual and the physical component. Like spiritually, we share the good news of Jesus. We speak the good news of Jesus because we love others and we wanna see people come to know the love of God and be saved. But we also, physically, we serve others. Not to earn God's approval or to climb our way into heaven or to impress each other or other people. But as we practically meet the needs of other people, 
We are loving them and caring for them. And so now others are able to experience the love of Jesus through us. We're not just like going over the radio waves with this like blah, 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 this, this, like we're demonstrating it. We're showing it. We're inviting people to experience the love of God by radically preferring them, even though maybe they're not like us. We have been found We have been cared for. We have been treated with compassion by Jesus. And we, Christian, we now live to find and care for and show compassion for others. We live as a people who have been rescued. Our our having been rescued changes us. That is now who we are in Jesus. The gratitude that we now hold in our hearts and the love that we now have in Jesus, it directs us to share the love and the rescue of God with others. And when we think about this parable, we should be thinking about people in need in our world, in our culture, in our community, in our society. We live in a place where need isn't as extreme as it is in other parts of the world. For example, we don't see starving children sitting around in the city of Ventura or anywhere really in Ventura County. It's not something that's like this big obvious social problem that you would see just by walking around. But if you were in the Somali region of Ethiopia where literally tens of thousands of kids are starving, thousands of them starve to death every year, We should be stricken with compassion and cry out to God, how do we feed those kids? Like when we hear that, we're moved with compassion and some of us might be led by the Spirit to engage in some way. You you may not see the thousand plus foster kids here in Ventura County. Maybe God is stirring your heart to be praying about fostering or praying about becoming involved in like respite care to help foster parents, right? Or, or maybe to, to participate in a boys and girls club where often these kids are after school, like being a big brother or, or being a mentor to a young man or a young woman. We also, we see evidence of a drug crisis here in Ventura, but it is nothing compared to what's happening in the city of San Francisco right now. Last month, 30 of us, I brought a bunch of high school students who serve in leadership roles in the church and also a group of our youth leaders, 30 of us went to San Francisco and we stayed in the Tenderloin neighborhood in San Francisco. We were literally staying not just in the Tenderloin, the part of the neighborhood where the epicenter of the fentanyl epidemic is happening. It is unbelievable what we saw, what we smelled, what we experienced there. Now, we're not geographically connected to these people. We're not neighbors in the sense like we had to drive six hours to get there. But see, the love of Jesus allowed us to be neighbors for the addicted and starving population of the Tenderloin as we fed them and as we prayed for them, as we demonstrated the love of God, as we invited them into conversation. We saw walls coming down and people that have not had a meaningful connection with another person or a meaningful connection with the Lord, maybe ever in their life, but certainly not in a while, started weeping and responding to the love of God that was teenagers in the Tenderloin district of the city. And so I tell this story just to to kind of motivate us. How are we? How is your family? How is your living situation? If you got roommates, how are we supposed to live this out? You know, living in Ventura, I think about the elderly. I think about the immigrant population. What What an incredible mission field God is bringing into the United States right now. Think about all the immigrants that need Jesus, that need an ESL instructor to be involved in their life. 
Think about how to serve the poor and the homeless. If we as followers of Jesus would sit down and think and pray, maybe it's with your wife, maybe it's as a family with your kids, maybe it's as a community group, maybe it's just by yourself or with your roommate. Just a few minutes to think creatively and think about the needs that are around us. Think and pray and ask God to reveal his love for these people that we would be like the Good Samaritan, that we would be with neighborly love that Jesus describes, willing to serve people in need. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a relative that has grown estranged from the family, viewed as an enemy and difficult to love. I don't know if any of you guys have ever experienced that in your family, right? It could be as simple as financially supporting an organization or inviting someone over for dinner. Maybe it's as drastic as serving at the rescue mission with your family or community group or prayerfully signing up for a missions trip to to put your, your body where God has called our heart to be and just ask God, give me a heart for the nations. See, this is what a life look of life of love looks like. As we enjoy the overwhelming love of Jesus, we prayerfully and thoughtfully and intentionally love and serve and sacrifice and invest in others. And Jesus says, this is real love. It is a love that brings help. It is a love that brings healing. It is a love that brings hope, not only to us, but to others through us. But here's the thing. We must first receive this love. We must first be healed by this love. And today, if you are living without this hope, if you are living without this help, without this rescue in your life, You need to hear this. Help, healing, and hope are available for you. Right now, right now, Jesus has his hand out and he's saying, come to me. I know that you're weary. I know that you're distressed. I know that you're carrying, you're you're literally being crushed by burdens that you were not created to carry. I know where you are. I see where you are. I am where you are. I love you. Cast your cares upon me. Jesus today is offering salvation. He's offering hope. He's offering help. If you've never responded to the love of God, maybe for the first time, you respond to the love of God today by putting your faith in Jesus. Maybe if you're a follower of Jesus and you're like, dude, I'm, do, I'm carrying all those things and I'm a Christian. Listen, God is your rescuer. It's not a one-time rescuer. He remains with us. Jesus is the one who saves He is the one who heals. He is the one who gives hope. And this love is a free gift. This gift is offered by God and it is received through faith. And this morning, if you're in need of a rescue, if you are in need of help, if you are in need of hope, turn to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. Let God show you what real love is. Experience what God's love is for you. Allow God to fill you with that love. So as you go from this place today, you might have arrived broken. You might have arrived distressed. You might have arrived depressed. Allow the love of God to fill you that you would leave this place encouraged and filled and just stoked to overflow the love of God into the lives and the people and the culture that you encounter throughout this next week. This is the love of God that we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Amen?
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for showing us again the beauty and the glory of what Jesus has done. Thank you, Lord, that you come to us in our need, that you rescue us. And thank you, God, that you don't just deliver us, but you change us. Thank you for making us brand new in Jesus. Lord, this morning, we ask that you would help us to be in awe of all that Jesus has done. And that in our seeing Jesus in his glory, that our hearts would change. That seeing the wonder of your love would change us and transform us. That the natural impulses of our hearts would be to share that same love with others as we follow Jesus. Lord, we know we can't do this on our own strength. We can only do that in the strength and the grace that you provide through your Holy Spirit. And so we pray that your spirit would come in great power and apply the gospel to our hearts, apply the gospel to our minds, apply the gospel to our families and to our community. Help us, Lord, receive and follow Jesus. Lord, bring about the much needed changes and transformation in our own lives, God, and help us to see that transformation happen as your love flows through us to the lives of people around us. We love you, Lord. We turn our gaze upon Jesus now as we worship. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.